Welcome back to another edition of Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter. We're talking about one hot topic in healthcare in just a few minutes. I'm your host, Jeremy Schmerer, and I'm joined by Ryan LaRanger. Ryan has a PhD in genetics and developmental biology and did his postdoc in biomedical engineering. Today, we're going to be talking about quantum computing, which in layman's terms is a theory in computing that can exponentially increase processing capacity as compared with today's supercomputers. Last week, drug maker Boehringer Ingelheim announced plans to partner with Google to capitalize on both the speed and granularity made possible through quantum computing. Now, Ryan, I suspect we have listeners with varying degrees of computer science backgrounds. So can you tell us a bit more about how quantum computing works uh, at the high level? Sure, absolutely. Um, So at a basic level, when you're dealing with classical computing, you're dealing with a single bit, so a zero or a one, and everything's based around uh, transistors, zeros and ones, zeros and ones. With quantum computing, you're dealing with what are called qubits. They can be at either zero, one, or a space in between, so uh, zero, one, or two, let's say. Now, that seems like a very simple change, but what it does is allows for much, much, much more power in regards to processing speed for certain kinds of tasks when you're dealing with more multifactorial problems. Uh, you can think about it like color on a television, right? It's You can get one kind of image with a black and white. You can get much, much, much higher detail if you're able to play with three colors working together at varying degrees of strength. And so... So that's a good uh, look at how it works and how it functions. Now, where do you see this applying in the world of healthcare and, you know, for drug makers, for med device makers, you know, who should be leveraging quantum computing and where is this already happening today? So quantum computing is ridiculously expensive. Uh, It's you're basically trapping at this stage for every qubit, you're trapping an electron on a superconductor, which is moving the electron between the states. So it needs to be super, it needs to be actually super cooled. And because you're dealing with a system that's very sensitive, it's an electron that's constantly in movement, it needs to be constantly checked against itself. And so one logical qubit is a series of qubits whose entire function is to make sure that there are no outside sources of error changing the end result of the work. Now, to get back to the original point, the reason why I say it's kind of expensive to do uh, quantum computing is because it's not appropriate for all functions. But for cases where you're dealing with high complexity problems, quantum computing is an excellent resource. I'll give you a baseline example, and then I'll go a little bit more into detail. So at a high level, you can think of problems that are appropriate for quantum computing as the salesman problem, where you have uh, one salesman who wants to go to a series of locations. And for every single node, there's an optimal route. Now, uh, the computation of that is very, very complicated. And because you're dealing with many different variables, quantum computing is very good because it has those multiple states at processing all of those variables at once using a comparatively tiny amount of power and time in order to get to that result. So where is that useful from a healthcare perspective? That's particularly useful in cases where you're trying to detect uh, epitopes, where you're trying to model folding states for proteins and then model what could be the best compound which could fit into that state and other sort of complex modeling questions, as well as ones more purely of logistics, sales, 
anything that involves these multiple factors is a good case for it. In particular, uh, this actually references very well our last uh, conversation, where uh, one of the really interesting cases for it is actually in predicting the folding of epitopes. So for instance, COVID-19. A very, very good example. We're seeing right now a number of mutations in the COVID-19 space, which involve changes to the spike protein. Now, if there are sufficient changes to the spike protein, that might change the antibodies that, or change the regions of that protein that an antibody might bind to. If you could model those changes in the protein, that could give you a better sense of what changes you might need to make in terms of developing a new vaccine. So that seems endlessly valuable as you think about you know, the potential mutations of coronavirus and other conditions. Now, you've spent some time in the lab in some of your education, and do you think that we're going to see um, that major transition from doing these tests and experiments in the lab to much more of a computer modeling based test? Oh, gosh. I mean, frankly, not until you have a better uh, grounding of quantum computing. So uh, when you're modeling experiments outside of the lab, uh, often that's called in silico, uh, in order to do that properly, you need to be modeling the entire environment. I swear uh, this entire episode, I feel like we should have a counter for the number of times I'm saying the word modeling, <laughs> but, but it's important for this particular application. Uh, the thing to keep in mind here is in order to properly model a environment in which an experiment may occur, you need to carry as few assumptions as possible and have the space be as interactive with itself as possible. Quantum computing is very good for this. So the creation of so-called physics-based AI systems, which are not just based on correlations, but are based on modeling what would happen based on a series of physics-based rules. Uh, to get back to your original question, when you're talking about how would this change things in the lab, in the short term, honestly, probably not very much in, on the research side. And the reason is that quantum computing presently is still extremely expensive. And that's not likely to change in the next uh, six to eight years. Uh, Google, for instance, has demonstrated quantum supremacy in a, a very particular sort of edge case. Uh, there are works towards making the system more economical. But if you have a system that takes, if you have a computer that takes two or three days to reboot, uh, <laughs> It's um, not practical for all applications, to be sure. Whew. Quantum computing. This, this is certainly a cool space. And um, I think we need to do a second part to this to, to really trickle down a bit further to what implications this has and, and potential applications. But the podcast is indeed called Truncated Thoughts. So we're going to tie off for, for today, and we hope you have enjoyed this discussion. Um, if you liked what you heard or want to weigh in on our discussion or suggest a topic for Ryan and I to discuss in the future, um, you can certainly reach out to us uh, via the show notes. Uh, we have our information in there. So join us again next week where we're going to continue this discussion of quantum computing and probably dive a little bit more into 
to, you know, the cybersecurity and HIPAA implications and other things that one might want to be aware of when starting to think about a quantum computing strategy. So until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.